You are now listening to Vibe Selection with Kyra, where you can get the real on today's hot topics. Well, welcome everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. I'm your host, Kyra, and on today's episode, I have a very special guest joining me today. Dr. Michael Lennox is joining me. He is a renowned psychologist, dream expert, astrologer, and published author with over 25 years of experience helping others understand their unconscious experience. Dr. Lennox has also been a guest on countless TV shows, including the Sci-Fi Network's Dream team and Wayne in the Wayne Brady show. He's been on numerous radio and podcasts, various networks. And today we'll be, we will be discussing his journey into becoming a dream expert, the meaning behind dreams and his upcoming masterclass, finding your voice. How are you today, Dr. Uh, Dr. Michael? Hey honey, I am good. I am excited. I'm excited to talk to you about dreams. And here we are at the beginning of uh, the beginning of our new crazy time in 2021. Here's hoping for a more <laughs> an easier passage. <laughs> I know. Year, right? We made it. Luckily, we, we made, made it. it. It's yeah. 2021. It is exciting. I hope everybody is staying safe and staying healthy out there. But That's we're right. things will definitely be looking up for us this year. I am very optimistic about that. But I first, it. I wanted to start off with a little bit of your background. So tell me a little bit about your background and where you grew up and where you're from. Oh, sweet. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, I'm from the East Coast. I'm born and raised in New York, like a third generation New Yorker, um, though I grew up outside of the city in, in New Jersey. Um, and actually, it was really as a kid that my experience with dreams first rose up. Like I was just a, an imaginative kid. I loved my dreams. I had a mom who was interested in like asking what her kids dreamed uh, at night. And so I was wow. predisposed to be curious about this beautiful phenomenon that happened in, inside of us. Wow. Um, so that's sort of what got my, me started. But it was when I was around 15, my mom went to grad school to get a, a, a degree in social work. And the Freud's interpretation of dreams showed up on her bookshelf. And I just found I was like, interpretation of dreams. I want to read that. And I, I don't know what I got as a 15 year old reading Freud, but I certainly understood that dreams had some access to unconscious material that was powerful and that it could be, you know, looked at and interpreted or analyzed as the word he used. So that when I was hanging out in high school, as kids do in social settings, adults as well, I had the craziest dream last night would often be, you know, spoken out loud in social settings settings. And I just got sort of ballsy in those moments and asked people what they dreamed and had things to say about what they were dreaming. I said, well, here's what I get when I hear that dream story. And people's sort of eyes would get wider and they'd say things to me like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Or, oh, that, that that's so fascinating. And I just kept following that impulse and discovered that, indeed, I had a kind of gift for understanding universality, the dreams are stories. They're stories told by a language that's symbolic in nature. The thing itself that might be a dream image, the meaning behind it is built into what it does, what it is. You know, I'm, I got a glass of water here in my hand. So if I dream about a glass of water, I'm dreaming about my capacity to bring to me 
the elixir of life, water that's needed for life. So if the dream is like about a broken glass and I'm dreaming about a challenged ability to get what I need or to have the life force coursing through me, right? So I discovered as an adult, when looking back at how it was I was interpreting dreams, that there was just built into me a kind of innate speed and facility of understanding that this universal meaning that's available to all of us. Like, I don't know things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. I just can process it really fast so that if the dream is about glass and pencil and apple, my mind is, is thinking about the meaning behind those symbols while you're telling me the story. And I could do this as a teenager. Wow, that's amazing. So you said that your mom was kind of interested in learning about your dreams. Was she also a dream expert or what what made her curious about learning about dreams and knowing your dreams in particular? I suspect that initially we're just talking about a a mother and her children. Mm -hmm. Like just having a it's actually funny here because, you know, my, my mom was not the most nurturing mother. In fact, I talk a lot in the world of my teaching that part of how I teach about consciousness and healing childhood trauma is that I had a lot of it. Mm. Right. And I, I had a funny thing happen as an adult in a conversation with my mother, because I have childhood memories of my mother asking me about my dreams. And she said to me, that she does not remember or did not remember, she's passed away now, did not remember that that was a topic of conversation. So I'm not sure where the breakdown was, but (laughs) she did in the middle of her sort of adult trajectory, move away from biology and science, which was what first attracted her as a professional person. And in the middle of her life, while I was a teenager, went into the direction of psychology and she eventually did become a psychiatric social worker. So in that regard, though she might not have been the most nurturing parent who was actually coddling me with curious conversations about my dream life, she was modeling for me the idea that, A, you could stop your career in the middle of your life and change tracks, which I did, and B, that there was this deep science to psychology that had a lot to offer that that I definitely followed, uh, you know, you know, that I followed that thread through my own life about the desire to know more about the human condition, which I think I first learned from her. Wow. So, okay, you obtained your doctorate in MA in psychology from the Chicago School and your and your doctoral dissertation as well. So did your dreams land you to wanted to pursue a career in psychology? Well, you know, it's interesting. It, it, when I went to grad school, I was in my 30s. I was working as an executive in the entertainment industry. I was very successful, but I felt like my soul was just being eaten away um, because I just wasn't doing anything that was contributing to the world. In fact, my last corporate job in the entertainment industry was for Playboy. Oh, I spent five years as a vice president at a play at Playboy. And while it was sort of a fun place to work, Mm -hmm. I didn't exactly feel like I was contributing to humanity by being the VP of new business development at Playboy. (laughs) Right. So I had like a breakup and, you know, breakups are often lead to great changes. And I just decided to go to grad school for psychology, even though I wasn't entirely certain what I was going to do with it. I knew I wanted to, to be a public speaker, inspirational talking and speaking was something that I knew um, I was 
good at. I was an actor as a young man and as a kid, and I liked to teach, and I certainly like to talk. I've been talking my whole life. I can barely shut up even when I'm by myself. I'm talking out loud. <laughs> so that the choice to go to grad school was a dive into the abyss of the unknown. I wasn't sure what it was going to lead me to. I knew I didn't want to be a full-time psychotherapist period. And I'd never been. And, and that was not why I went. I went because my soul was longing to go in a new direction. So I took the leap off the cliff. And then two weeks after I finished my master's, I got a call from a friend who was a casting director who said, hey, are you still interpreting dreams? Because I've been doing workshops and, and, and clients with dream interpretation, even while I was working in the entertainment industry over here on the left-hand side of my life, I was working as a dream teacher of sorts. Wow. Two weeks after my master's was done, I got this call. Are you still doing dream work? Universal television is making a new television show about dream interpretation. Can I submit you? Long story short, I got that job. Two years of my life was spent developing the show, which was a, you know, not a success. We shot 65 shows and premiered them in January of 2003. And in March of 2003, we were canceled. And that was the end of that, Um, which in the moment looked like the worst thing that had ever happened. But it wound up being the best thing that had ever happened. First of all, it led me to a kind of dark night of the soul where I really just went within and said, who am I and what do I want to do and be in the world and how do I want to contribute? And it also opened the door for the idea that I could be someone who was a public teacher of spiritual psychology, of material that was psychological in nature, but also satisfied my desire to teach people about spirituality and dreams and dream interpretation was certainly at the heart of that. And the public visibility that the show offered, even though it wasn't, you know, long lasting or, or, or vibrant because it was canceled. It told me, oh, there's a thing that you can do in this world, in your life, in your body, Michael, now go do it. Hmm. And I went on up like a trip in my experience thinking, all right, I'll just develop a business as a retreat giver and a class teacher and a, you know, a uh, an astrologer and uh, uh, all of these different things. I thought it would take me about two years to build a, a vibrant career, and <laughs> it took 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that was, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, my life is is beyond my wildest imaginings with, uh, you know, a, an opportunity to be involved and engaged in helping others through all of the things that I love and am passionate about from dream interpretation to astrology to helping people understand their unconscious and have a healing experience to have a more magnificent life. Wow. So everything pretty much works in divine order. And sometimes that divine order takes a freaking long time to play out. <laughs> right. You're like, can the order be uh, tomorrow? <laughs> That's right. I want it now and I want it delivered. Exactly. FedEx me. (laughs) So, okay. I wanted to get into, I know that you do your uh, daily red. Robe. Um, Uh, dealings where you talk about, you know, the daily astrology updates. So what interests you exactly into astrology? 
You know, I had my first astrological reading when I was 25. So that that's about 27 years ago. And the woman who who did the reading made a second copy of the chart for me. Right. Mm -hmm. That was back in the days before computers, you know, making the chart in three seconds. You had to like draw it out using an ephemeris, a book of planetary placements. But she made two copies and, and I got to look at this copy of my chart while she's doing this reading. And because I knew the symbols that were in you know, in the lexicon of symbology, there's a symbol that is standard for men, masculinity, male, and then the one for femininity, female. These were things I saw out in the world as symbols that turned out to also be the glyph for glyph is a, is a word that means symbol for Mars and Venus. There, the, the, the symbol for Mars is a circle with a little arrow sticking it up in a little phallic symbol shape, right? And the glyph for Venus is a circle with a, a cross below it. So the point I'm making about just knowing those symbols is that because I knew those symbols, as she's talking about my chart, I'm having an experience of feeling like I understand it in a very primal way. And when I began to study astrology a couple of years later, um, really like eight or nine years later, I started studying astrology in my sort of mid thirties before grad school, long before grad school. Um, my, my experience of learning more about astrology was as if I was remembering it. It, it, it. it wasn't like learning something new. It was like remembering something old. So it became very easy and naturally for me to understand astrological principles. And it was only a short number of years between my beginning of study of astrology to the first time I ever started to read people sort of, uh, you know, uh, in a practicing sort of way. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I want to get on to dreams. So what exactly are dreams? Well, you know, at the end of the day, the the true answer to that question is that we really have no idea. (laughs) Um, And in fact, one of the things that's interesting about science as a a discipline, there's a lot of hubris in science. So if science discovers certain truths about the sleep cycle or the chemical processes that are occurring in REM sleep that are connected to short-term memory or cleaning out metabolic waste, the scientists will say, well, in REM sleep, the brain cells are getting rid of toxins and short-term memory is being formed and therefore dreams have no meaning. Mm. It's like, what? (laughs) That ain't right. Just because you figured out what the science is of something structural that is happening while we're in REM sleep does not mean that the mystical experience of dreams is eradicated or irrelevant. Mm -hmm. My belief is that there are two things happening when we dream. One is that because our narrating mind, our conscious awareness mind, the one that knows like who you are, where you are, and when you are is asleep, then we are, we are, 
connected more directly to our unconscious mind. And so dreams can be a snapshot of what the feeling sensation uh, and conflicts and challenges that are just below the surface of consciousness are so that we can dip into dreamland and know more about like, like what's happening in the basement of us when we then wake up and we have the residual information that the dream had to offer. But at the same time, I do believe that we are multidimensional beings and we are connected to energies that we we can't even you know, understand yet as, as human beings. Um, but that in the dream state with that conscious awareness, mind asleep, we are actually connected to these other dimensional energetic experiences that then, I don't know, they show up as mysterious, weird dream symbols, but I think there's, there's a way that our, humanity connects to our divinity, if you will, when we go into dreams and wake up. Yeah. So there's a lot of meaning behind dreams. What is the reason why you feel like assess human beings actually do dream? Well, you know, remember, too, that all mammals dream. So Mm. there has to be purpose to it, even if we can't understand what that purpose is. Mm -hmm. I like to sort of blur the lines where it's like if there's a physical demand to have dreams or rather let me say it this way there's a physical demand for the brain to do certain things that it can only do in REM sleep and they're connected to getting rid of neurotoxins that are in the brain because you know brain cells poop just like all cells and the brain has to do something clever to get rid of its metabolic waste because it's not in the lymphatic system below the blood-brain barrier. It has to get rid of its waste in a more clever way, which it does during REM sleep. So the short story there is there's toxic waste from metabolic processes in the brain that we get rid of in REM sleep. And if we didn't, we would hallucinate and eventually die because it would be detrimental to our health to not dream. Wow. I believe the same thing can be said somehow psychically, spiritually, that if we didn't leave this world of form and go into our sleep state where we connect to the greater part of ourselves, the energetic part of ourselves, the multidimensional part of ourselves, the divine part of ourselves, I think we wouldn't survive psychically or spiritually, that we dream so that we can connect to our divinity so that we can wake up and do our humanity a little bit better. So dreams go way beyond the human psyche. They're also, it's more of like a a spiritual type of feeling or thing that kind of happens to every human being. It is for me. And since I've been someone who personally has been on a path of self-actualization, wanting to know myself more deeply and heal the traumas that were part of the way I was raised, because I was raised in chaos and trauma, from both parents. Um, And I was committed to that idea of, oh, I can, I can rise up out of this. I mean, I went to therapy on my own steam at 15 or 16 years old. Like I was aware that there needed to be some deep healing. Mm -hmm. And as I follow my life from say my teenage years into my like early thirties, where the bulk of some of that healing work was done long before I was ever in a psychic or psychological position to be of service to others, to help others do the same. 
just paying attention to my dreams felt like it was an enormous part of knowing who I was, learning who I was, uh, getting connected to the stuff that was happening in the underbelly of my unconscious in a way that I don't know that I can explain in a sensical way, but I can tell you, I don't feel like I'm gripped by my trauma anymore. I can tell you all the ways I did that. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's how I teach today. I teach shadow work and other forms of self-exploration because I did it. Mm-hmm. So dreams and paying attention to them and writing them down and sharing them with others and sometimes doing ritual processes based on stuff that would come up in my dreams was an enormous part of how I faced healing my own wounds and stepping up to a greater expression of myself. So Do I know that it works? Is it a guaranteed scientific, oh my God, this works? No, it's a mystery. And a lot of people out there would say, oh, you're just woo woo and full of nonsense. But I'm standing here as a 57 year old man who feels completely free of trauma and childhood wound of which there was a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was like, if, what, you know, what what would one say out there in the world? It's like, if you want what I have, do what I did. And I have freedom from my traumas. And one of the ways that I did that was I paid attention to my dreams and I respected that if I was having scary, dark, uncomfortable dreams, that there was something rich and juicy happening in my unconscious. And all I had to do to make that more vibrant and more impactful wasn't, oh, I got to figure out what this dream means and I better be right or my (laughs) healing won't work. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I what we want and what I teach people is it's not about figuring it out. It's just about having a relationship with your unconscious, having a relationship with your underbelly of fears and limitations and, and, and scary places so that that part of you feels like it's being paid attention to. Wow. And that alone, I think, heals over time. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So there's a lot of self-actualizing when it comes to dreams a lot of times in order to connect with your higher divinity, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. It's like your unconscious wants you to know things about what's happening in the basement. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it says so. It knocks on your door with a dream and says, hey, <laughs> you're a little frightened. And so we're throwing you up this image that that we know works whenever you're in stress. And then you can by paying attention to the dream might have a moment of consideration. Well, what is, what is triggering me? What in my waking life might have caused this nightmarish experience? And now suddenly that human being that I'm describing is having an active conversation on a regular basis with their unconscious. So that over time, like, like, you know, like a dating relationship, you start talking to your unconscious, your unconscious will start talking back. And after a while, you'll fall into a rhythm of the two parts of your being interacting with each other through the dream state. And just by paying attention to the dreams, your dream life will rise up. It'll get richer. It'll get the dreams will become more vivid. And I believe that over time we do grow into greater, more whole, complete, authentic human beings because we're more connected to our divinity because we're paying attention to the unconscious. Wow. So, okay, I know there's a couple of stages of the dreams. What are some stages of when people are dreaming? Well, I, I think you're talking about sleep stages? Yes, yeah, sleep stages. 
Yeah. So when we there are five stages of sleep, essentially, there's three as we tumble into REM. Um, each of these three stages are delineated by differences that would be measurable in a sleep lab, but that you wouldn't be able to necessarily feel. In fact, there's a first stage of sleep that you would probably think, oh, I'm not I'm not sleeping. But if we were measuring your brain waves, we would see a shift in brain activity that would mark this first stage of sleep where you might feel kind of awake, but inside your brain, what's happening is the chaotic wave uh, uh, activity that emanates from your dream, uh, from your brain is starting to synchronize. And with each of those deepening first, second, and third stages of sleep, what delineates one stage from the other is more, this is an overgeneralization, but it'll give you the accurate picture. With each progressive stage, the brain goes from chaos in waves, which is the waking state, to three stages of more synchronizing of those waves, right? Mm -hmm. So now we go from chaos of waking mind to one, two, and three stages of continued sense of more slowness and synchronous synchronization of those brain waves. And then bam, we drop into REM sleep and everything just wakes up. The brain starts to express itself exactly like it looks in waking life. This wow. is the dream state of REM sleep where we are having an active experience in the brain that looks just like waking life. Now, what's happening that's really clever in the body is that when we go into REM sleep, the brain paralyzes the body, <clears throat> causes it to be immovable because the frontal cortex of the brain is so lit up. If you weren't paralyzed, you'd be running around the house acting your, your sleeping experience out. This is, by the way, what sleepwalking is. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't have enough of a paralysis, the body will respond to the internal stimuli of the neofrontal cortex and move about your space, though you are asleep. Uh -huh. This fourth stage, REM, also has the rapid eye movement. What's happening in this state is the brain is reliving everything it did during the day. This is why so many dreams include imagery that was from your day. You go to the grocery store on a Tuesday night, you might be more likely to dream of a grocery store when you go to sleep that night. Because part of what your brain is doing is saying, all right, we collected a lot of data today. <laughs> it's too much. What do we need to keep as memory and what can we just get rid of? So the brain literally is in the two or three or sometimes four REM cycles in a typical night's sleep with each progressive one, you are remembering the important stuff and discarding the unimportant. Um, this is also because it's the time, it's the stage of the most vivid dreams. Because by the way, we dream in all of the other stages. They're just fuzzy. Mm. They're not the storyline dreams of REM sleep. So if you woke somebody up in a sleep lab in the third stage of sleep, they'd say, ah, it was floaty. I was dreaming, but it was, I don't know. Whereas you wake them up in REM sleep, it's like, well, I was in a park and then we were in a car and then we were on a cliff and then we had an ice cream cone. <laughs> so it's those dreams that are the vivid and memorable dreams. And as soon as that stage is over, 
we typically drop into the fifth stage, which is deep sleep. This is like deep, deep rest. Then we kind of rise up to a kind of waking state, which is likely when you'd get up to pee. If you get up to pee in the middle of the night or get a glass of water, it's because you've just completed the fifth deep state stage that happens after REM because then we start again and then we go through one, two, three and REM and deep sleep again. And we do this usually eh, three times in a night, maybe four. Wow. So do you feel like we're able to control our dreams or is dreams something that just is inevitable and just is going to happen? Well, there are a lot of disciplines around lucid dreaming and having a, a conscious impact on the dream state. I personally have never been sort of uh, grabbed by that, though millions of people are, right? So I don't want to dismiss the idea of lucid dreaming or trying to have conscious control of your dreams. Um, I just was never, it's like it, it, it didn't grab me, so I didn't. I didn't spend any time nurturing that for myself or teaching that for others, but it's a bona fide thing. I've had a handful of very lucid dreams in my life where I was aware that I was dreaming while I was sleeping, including two experiences where that was so real feeling that it was as if I was awake, as awake as I am right now. I've had two dream experiences like that and they were they were so phenomenal and exciting to have. I can see why somebody would be interested in, <laughs> you know, pursuing the idea that I might want to control my dream. So the various ways that people might want to do this is the idea of being in bed, having a dream, waking up, closing your eyes and committing to yourself that you're going to return to the dream you were in. That happens. And I think that's something you can cultivate to happen. There are classes and books out there that teach people how to have uh, lucid dreaming more consciously chosen. And I believe that's probably possible, though I've never done it. I've never practiced it. But I will tell you this, one of the methods out there that lucid dreaming teachers teach is to look at your hands during the day while you're awake mm -hmm. in a moment where you look at your hands and you say, all right, here's me, look at my hands. I'm going to remember this in a dream someday. Now, imagine if you did that 30 times a day for months. Mm -hmm. And you know, because I just told you that in REM sleep, we review everything the brain has experienced during the day. Mm -hmm. If you look at your hands every day, 20 or 30 times with consistency, eventually you're going to be in a dream state and that image is going to flash by because your brain is going through all the imagery that's come in and it'll register in your dream state. And you'll be like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm dreaming. This is it. This is that moment. <laughs> now I've heard countless people describe that as a thing that they cultivated and made happen. So that I know that it is possible to control our dreams Mm -hmm. um, but it, I think it takes great discipline and great consistency. Um, and it's also not magic, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know, like, they, like, uh, um, what we can affect in our dream state from our conscious waking state is limited because it's an unconscious process. If you watch, you know, movies about this, it looks very, 
very unlimited. But that, that's the imagination saying, "What? How fun would it be if this were, you know, you know, it, it, uh, that possible?" So it's it's yes, it's possible to control your dreams, um, but be careful of of wanting magic when magic's not really available. Hmm. Okay. So, what are some of the causes of sleep paralysis and nightmares? Why do some people experience these two? Well, let's talk about nightmares for a second separately. Um, my sense is that the the brain is economical when it comes to alerting us of what what it wants our unconscious to know. Right. So, nightmares are memorable. That's what's interesting to me about nightmares that we have this dream state. We know that it happens with every, every night's sleep. You know, people will say, I don't dream. It's like, yeah, you'd be dead. <laughs> you don't remember your dreams. I got that, but trust me, you're dreaming because you'd be dead. Um, so because nightmares are routinely memorable because of their intensity, I have to believe that there's some purpose to that. And it fits my, my sort of, and, and by the way, not just mine, but the, the narrative of dreams that comes from, you know, a long line of, of great thinkers who started this all off, including Jung, uh, the, the Swiss psycholo- psychologist, um, you know, that that we remember nightmares because our unconscious really wants us to pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I have a belief about that, so that when a nightmare comes, it's it's definitely time to take a look at that particular dream because it's allowing you to know where in your unconscious you're afraid. Life is terrifying. It's in our dreams that we bask in that fear, give it a moment of voice so that we can wake up courageous the next day by having a visit to the underbelly where the fear lives. So a nightmare being more memorable is like an invitation from the unconscious saying this one's important pay attention. Mm. Night terrors or sleep paralysis is a very different story. I happen to think that the night terror state is one of the most powerful spiritual states one can be in. Um, so let's start for a second about uh, with the with the you know neurological component to night terrors. This harkens back to the idea that in REM sleep the body is paralyzed by a switch in the brain. And in normal functioning, you inch towards REM sleep, the paralysis happens, the REM sleep occurs, the REM sleep completes itself, the paralysis diminishes, and that's called a night sleep. You'd never know the difference of any of this because if it's working well, you don't notice. But when it's not working well, sometimes what'll happen is consciousness begins to return before the brain is ready to unparalyze the body. And this is a night terror. That's why night terrors, the content of them are almost always the dreamer in the bed that they are dreaming in, dreaming that they can't get up or that there's a demon sitting on their chest or that there's a boogeyman in the room and they can't move. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a boogeyman in the room. <laughs> Here's what I think. I believe this with every inch of my being. Mm-hmm. I believe that because the waking mind is asleep and it inches into waking, it's like winking awake, but it's still asleep. 
but it's winking awake enough to be more aware with our conscious mind than we would be if we were dead asleep. So it's winking awake and the body is still paralyzed because the unconscious mind is still in sort of full expression and the conscious mind is winking in and watching, I think that state is one of the most heightened sensitivity states that there is. There are multidimensional energies sitting right in the room where you are right this very moment. Same here, because we are multidimensional beings and we have the most limited perception as human beings imaginable, though we hubristically think we perceive everything because we're arrogant. (laughs) Um, True. (laughs) So, yeah, so when when. when we're in this state that's mostly connected to our multidimensionality, we are perceiving other energies in the room or in the space, whatever the right language is to describe that, that are always available and present and in the room, but we can perceive them because most of our conscious mind is asleep. But at the same time, we're paralyzed. We don't know why we're paralyzed. We're not saying, oh, right, REM sleep's happening, so I'm paralyzed. We're just, oh, my God, I can't move. (laughs) So I believe there's a collapse between the fear that's induced by the paralysis that's very literal and real and the perception of other energies into the room. We collapse them and suddenly, oh, there's a boogeyman sitting on my chest. Oh, it's a succubus. Oh, it's a succubus. You know, that, that, that these other nefarious images, I think, are more likely to be something that the fearful mind does to make sense of the paralysis. And, you know, it's so interesting because I've heard from a lot of people that have had sleep paralysis. And like you said, they all think it's some boogeyman sitting on their chest or some demon or, you know, some something, you know, something different, you know, so dark. Yeah. And dark. Exactly. So it's very interesting that it's also something that's very common for a lot of people to experience. Yes. I met a guy about 20 years ago and he had such an interesting story. I implored him to come and let me interview him. I even have this interview on a video tape. It's a format probably doesn't freaking exist anymore, but it's (laughs) somewhere in a box. He had a story of a chronic sleep paralysis where there was indeed this perception of like a boogeyman in the room. And he just had this instinct to work with this state so that every morning, because it happened a lot, while it was happening, even though it was scary for him, he, he went into a meditative state with this sensation and, and sort of leaned in to change the perception. It didn't happen fast. He had to do this a lot over many months, every time it occurred. But what he was able to do was cultivate a perception of a stunning light, goddess-like being in the room that he had a relationship with that was really beautiful, energetic experience, not at all the initial sense of terror, boogeyman energy, just by lying there for many, 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 many months, every time it happened saying, I don't think this is what's really going on. Let me go deeper. Mm. 
And in that practice, which is a total spiritual discipline, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. he transformed that experience. So now that may be the only time I have heard of someone doing it at that level and in that way. Mm-hmm. To me, that's empirical proof that what I'm describing now is what what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not good science because I only have one real bona fide example of it. So it's <laughs> not good science, but I don't have to be a good scientist. I can be a theorist and say, mm-hmm. I believe that this is happening or available to anybody who's in a night terror situation, that the night terror experience is a brain anomaly, but it opens you up to perception of multidimensional energy. If you're frightened of being paralyzed, you're going to see only dark imagery. But if you move past that, it is possible to understand that everything is available in perception, including great lightness. Absolutely. And that situation alone proves the validity validity of what you were saying. So, you know, well, and, and don't you think it matches all of our experiences of we if we want to heal our trauma, we got to face the fear mm-hmm. and the yucky feelings and the unforgiveness, mm-hmm. find the forgiveness behind it. Yeah, this is a model that works for all growth. Mm-hmm. You can't get bigger in the gym unless you have the pain of ripping apart muscle mm-hmm. to build new muscle. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no model that doesn't require us to face the dark in order to get to the light on the other side. If we don't go through, we can never have the change of transformation that's possible. Just like 2020. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as human beings, I feel like we live in a lot of fear. We fear yeah. a lot of things and sometimes we get in our own way of self-improvement. So you sometimes, know. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. You published three books and yes. one in particular is Llewellyn's complete dream dictionary. So I'm going to ask you about some common meanings behind dreams and some themes. And I want you to tell me some of the background behind them. Sure. So, okay. If someone dreams of an ex, what is the meaning behind that? You well, you know, a lot of people get caught up on this image because, you know, an X is an X for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so the dream of the X, if you get too literal about it, if you think that the dream connects to them, mm-hmm. you, of course you're going to wake up going, why am I dreaming about my X? Mm-hmm. But remember, it's not your ex's dream. Ah, It's your dream. And so your ex doesn't represent your ex. Your ex represents your relational capacity. Mm. That that inner mm -hmm. image of a beloved. So as we're dreaming of exes, I think what we're doing is going back into relational challenges that that X relationship might have shown us. And then we dream about it. Even after the relationship is over, we dream about them as we are processing, who am I as a giver and receiver of love? So that the purpose being, you know, that the next time you connect with somebody romantically and intimately, you can do a better job of it. So the dreams about the X are not about the X. They're about how you are in relationship and how you are growing compared to how you were back when that person Person was your actual partner. Mm, and a lot of people think that when they have dreams of exes, like you said, they think that, oh, I should go and maybe reconnect with them. Oh, in my yes. dreams Because I need to connect with them. They're my long lost love. That's <laughs> okay. So when people are dreaming of sex, usually yeah. if the theme, if the theme in their dream is sex, what is that a representation of? You got to go to the symbolic meaning, right? So if you mm-hmm. imagine two people in bodies having sex, what are they trying to do? 
they're trying to get as close to each other as possible. So the symbolic meaning behind that is integration, coming together. So that if you think of every person in your dream as an aspect of you, Mm -hmm. as opposed to them in the dream that's just a, a part of you and you have sex with that person in your dream, it is much more likely to be a dream of integration coming together with a quality that lives in you that maybe you might need in your life at the moment that you have that dream. The best example I ever heard of this, and I've told this story thousands of times, and it's in some of my books, is the woman who dreamed of a, having sex with like a coworker that she was horrified at the idea of having that dream, right? So clearly someone she was not planning to have sex with in waking life. <laughs> a but upon further investigation, when I said, when I asked, well, tell me about this guy, like what are some of his qualities? It became very clear that this was a confident man who was articulate and a good public speaker. And this woman, when she had this dream, was getting ready to do a presentation and she was terrified. Mm. So she has a dream of having sex with a man that she knows to be confident, articulate and good at public speaking. <laughs> So it's a dream about integrating the part of her that can be articulate and confident so that she might wake up with that part of her more integrated so she can go and face that terrifying public speaking moment with greater confidence. Now, that's a very obvious sort of example, and they're not always that obvious, but the principle stays the same. Sex is a symbol of integration. It doesn't mean that Every sex dream is about integration and coming together. Some sex dreams are just about sex or sexual impulses. But those dreams are, are you know, if, if it's someone you wouldn't have sex with in daily life or there are other feelings around the sex, it's not about sex. It's about integration of qualities and an exploration of sort of stimulating a part of you that might be in the background, but needs to be in the foreground because of life circumstances at the moment. Mm. So I usually invite people to, you know, the first thing we're going to do in a sex dream, if we're going to interpret it is look at the qualities of the person that you're having sex with and, and be in consideration about how those qualities or abilities or talents or, or some way of showing up in the world, how they might be valuable to you if you had more of that inside of you, as opposed to being a dream about, you know, wanting to be <laughs> physically intimate <laughs> with someone that would horrify you to do so. <laughs> So it's like a nightmare in a sense. <laughs> okay, so what are some of the meanings behind people having dreams about falling or dying? Well, you know, falling is interesting because it's it's one of the only fears that are pre-installed at birth. You know, a baby will be afraid of a loud noise. And that's just, a, you know, because loud noises indicate something unknown um, and f a fear of falling. I mean, I, I, I we, we know this. I, I'm not even sure how we know this because you can't ask an infant. What are you afraid of, honey? <laughs> um, but we, we live in gravity. So falling in gravity is death. It's mm -hmm. a guarantee, but it's also symbolic of risk. It's symbolic of removing a sense of control. Mm -hmm. 
things that are actually quite valuable to to have in your arsenal when facing a scary moment is a willingness to take a risk, an ability to dive even though you don't know what's going to happen next, and a feeling of being out of control when that might be the very best posture to take where controlling things is, you know, ruins everything. Mm-hmm. So a falling dream may be uncomfortable and scary to have, but what it's asking of you is to surrender to life on life's terms or to just take that risk. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a very powerful dream. Um, and death in dreams is, is similar. It's about moving towards the unknown and um, allowing for change to happen. Death and rebirth are completely connected. So death in a dream even if the rebirth piece isn't part of the dream in which the big death happens, death and rebirth cannot be disconnected from each other. So a dream that involves a death, even if it's your own death, is, is, is a beautiful dream that change is happening. Change is upon you. Mm. Wonderful. So you, you also have a few different classes that you offer. One in particular is called Dream Circles, but you also have an upcoming class called Finding Your Voice, mm-hmm. which to me is is going to be, I know it's going to be an awesome class, especially because it speaks a lot to me in my particular situation where over the years I've kind of stunted my own voice. Yeah. And, you know, caring a lot about what people are going to think if I said something in the wrong way and, you know, just a lot of self-limitating beliefs that I've grown to have. And over the years, I've definitely had to work on them. And I've actually had a lot of dreams in regards to me finding myself and finding my voice. So tell me a little bit about this class and um, how people can sign up for it. And first of all, before I go into that, can I just offer a beautiful acknowledgement of I love your vulnerability in sharing that with us, me, your audience, and Thank that you. we're sitting on a podcast mm-hmm. that yeah. you've created. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, yes. you're my, you're yes. my, like, you know, you're my hero. You are, this is what I'm a stand for is people finding their voices in ways that allow them to then contribute. And you can't contribute to the world if you, if you have a limited, you know, sense of, uh, uh, you know, what your voice, you know, what the power of your voice is and what it is you have to say, which is just so common out there in the world of people being, you know, people being parented by traumatized people who were traumatized by their parents. Yeah. You know, we each of us to to whatever extent, uh, you know, of the lineage we come from, you know, we we are born into stuff we got to heal in order to rise up and, and find our 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 purpose, our value, and our contribution. This particular class is new to me. It came up last year while I was teaching a class on forgiveness. And I asked a woman who was clearly getting shut down by the emotional content of what we were working through. And I could see that her voice was getting constricted. Her throat was closing up. And I asked her to just make a sound, like a sigh. Uh, It was what I was expecting. And she kind of went, Oh, it's like, oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Her voice is all squeezed up and shut down. And then I casually mentioned, I ought to teach a class in this. Mm, And the chat in the Zoom webinar lit up. Mm-hmm. Everybody's saying, I want this class. I want this class. I want this class. I want this. It's like, okay, well, I guess I, I got to create this class. And then I thought, well, who am I to help people who feel disenfranchised in their voice? Like I've never felt that way. My trauma made my voice louder. 
But then I realized it was the other side of the same coin, that in my traumas of feeling inadequate and unworthy and needing to prove myself resulted in me amplifying my voice outrageously, where I felt like I had to prove myself in every circumstance, and certainly in my 20s and even into my early 30s, such that my voice wasn't authentic at all. It was the voice of criticism, judgment, complaint, and proving myself to you. Mm. It's like, oh, I really am perfectly empowered to teach somebody who has a small and limited sense of their voice because of being told that they had no value on some level, uh, whether that's by your parents or by the world. You know, a lot of us are carrying stuff where the world says you are of less value because of your sexuality or your color of your skin. Here's a gay man and a black woman having a conversation. Mm-hmm. We each got told that we were not as valuable as others because of circumstances that were <laughs> beyond our control and not exactly expressing that we had no value, but that others were afraid. Mm-hmm. So I moved into trying to, you know, figure out how I was going to teach this class. And it just fold, it, it unfolded out of me like it, it was preformed. Because I have a background as an actor, I can also teach people the vocal warm up that stage actors learn to free the voice in a physical way. Because I think a lot of people out there want to have a more authentic voice, but they don't recognize that part of that is just speaking up in a physical way. Mm-hmm. So the first week of the class teaches that, but then the homework starts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Got to do and we dive work. into family history, dynamics with siblings, relationship with parents. And then the third class, we go into boundary setting and relational issues out there in the world as, you know, as adults and, and sort of wrap it up with, you know, your voice in the world in the fourth class. It's a really deep dive. And, you know, the way I structure my classes are that, you know, there's four live classes. They're two hours each. Some people show up to the live classes. Some people want to listen on recording. There's a Facebook group. Some people want to share in community and some people don't. Someone who signs up for this class can have a a sort of, you know, low, medium or high experience based on what you put in. You can watch the classes and do the homework a little bit and have an experience. You can do it with more gusto and earnestness and have a deeper experience. And then there are some people who go all all out. It's a homework driven class. So the the more willing you are to take the process and dive deep, the potential for change and transformation in even some of the most traumatized of experiences uh, is possible because I saw it happen when I taught this class the first time last year. Wow, that is phenomenal. So when will this class be debuting? January 16th. Okay, so that's the first class. So that's and it's it's every Saturday for four weeks after that. Um, Mm -hmm. So people can sign up right up until uh, January 16th. I I may cut it off at a certain number of of students just so that 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 we don't have any. Not everybody wants to work one on one within my Zoom webinar classes, but I want to make sure that anybody who does want to can and have the time. but yeah, anybody can register up until the 15th or the morning of the 16th if, if there are still seats left. And you can find out about all my classes at michaellenix.com. Wonderful. Now, before we go, I do like to ask this question to all of my guests that are on my show. And that is, do you feel like you found your life's purpose? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. 
100%. In fact, I'll say this. In 2020, when the world shut down and had to do this whole different way of being in behavior, I was ready. Hmm that I know who I am and how I serve so clearly that I was able to meet the needs of people in the world last year in a way that really told me, and I, I cried many, many, many tears of gratitude over this, that really reflected how, well, first of all, how much work it took, how long it took to be ready to serve in this way. Um, and for I will be forever grateful for being ready at a moment when the world needed people like us to step up and help more than ever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's only up and above from here. That's right, baby. <laughs> All right. We'll let everybody know where they can connect with you on social media. Okie dokie. MichaelLennox.com is the website. I'm on Instagram as Dr. Lennox Dreams. That's D-R Lennox Dreams. And I'm on Facebook as Dr. Michael Lennox. That's D-R Michael Lennox. Wonderful. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Michael. It's been a pleasure. So much. Yay. And for everyone else, if you like this uh, video, you can like and subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can hit the notification bell to get notified with any upcoming episodes or the latest episodes. I will also have this information from Dr. Michael Lennox also in the description box below. And if you like to support the Vibe Selection podcast, you can do so at www patreon.com slash vibe selection if you like to shop any vibe selection merchandise you can do so at www.teespring.com slash vibe selection or follow me on instagram at i am kyra mahoney thank you again for joining me this week have a wonderful day and make sure you stay safe and stay healthy out there talk to you guys next week bye Thank you for joining Vibe Selection with Kyra. Come vibe out with us again next time and hear the latest on today's hot topics. Find us on Instagram at I am Kyra Mahoney or donate at www.patreon.com slash vibe selection.